The following is my conversation with David Whoop, author of the new book, Imposing Our Will, Presidential Power, Constitutional Faith, and the Imposition of Religion. We'll be discussing a lot of different aspects of the book today, so please stay with us. Thanks. Thank you to our sponsor, Movability, Filterability. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, hey, everyone, this is Lexman speaking. I'm here with David Wolpe, the author of Imposing Our Will, Presidential Power, Constitutional Faith, and the Imposition of Religion. So welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks for having me. So Dave, let's jump right into the book. You've written about a lot of different topics in it, but I wanted to start with impoundments. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what impoundments are and why they're important? Sure. So impoundments are basically government seizures of private property without due process of law. They typically occur during economic downturns when there's a glut of commodities on the market and the government is able to convince a judge that the property should be seized in order to prevent it from going to waste or being sold at an unfairly low price. Okay, so why do they typically happen during economic downturns? Well, one reason is that the government is always looking for ways to create more public goods, which are things that the public benefits from but doesn't have to pay for directly. So during a recession, there's a lot of private sector resources that the government can use to create public goods like infrastructure or social programs. So if we're talking about economic downturn specifically, what kind of role do religious beliefs have in empowerment decisions? Well, it can be pretty complicated. In general, the government tends to favor secular over religious beliefs when making empowerment decisions, but there's always a degree of flexibility depending on the specific situation. For example, if there's evidence that religious owners are refusing to sell their property or are harming the public interest in some way, then the government might be more willing to invoke religious beliefs in order to justify their seizure. But on the whole, it's usually pretty secularistic. Okay, so do you think religious beliefs play a big role in American politics? Well, I think they play a significant role in American politics and governance in general. I think faith is an important part of many people's lives, and I think it has a lot of influence on their political views. But on the whole, I don't think faith necessarily dictates political action or policy decisions as much as some people would like to believe. Politics is ever-evolving and changing, and religion tends to be a very conservative dimension of culture compared to other aspects of life like economics or social issues. So I guess my answer would be that while religion definitely has an impact on politics and governance, it's not as central or influential as some people might believe it is. All right, so let's talk about that a little bit more later on in the show. But first, let's move on to another topic that you discuss in the book. Uh, you discuss in the book ecumenicalism. Can you tell us what that is and what its purpose is? Ecumenicalism is basically the practice of working together with other religious groups in order to promote mutual understanding and cooperation. It's usually motivated by a sense of shared values, which is why ecumenical organizations are usually geared towards promoting peace, social justice, or environmental conservation. Okay, so what do you think are the benefits of ecumenicalism? Well, I think there are a lot of benefits. For example, ecumenicalism can help conflict-ridden religious communities find common ground and build bridges towards mutual understanding. It can also help religious groups overcome their differences by establishing consensus around shared values and goals. And finally, it can create a sense of community and solidarity among different religious groups that wouldn't otherwise exist. All right, so that sounds pretty positive. Are there any drawbacks to ecumenicalism? Well, there are always some drawbacks. For example, some people believe that ecumenicalism leads to a kind of harmonized Christianity that emphasizes doctrinal uniformity over theological plurality. 
and sometimes it can lead to watered-down versions of religious practices that don't reflect the diversity of different faith communities. But on the whole, I think ecumenicalism is a useful tool for promoting interfaith cooperation and understanding. All right. So that's definitely something that we should be keeping in mind as we go about our lives. So let's move on to another topic that you discuss in the book, the role of the president in imposing religion on the public. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So one issue that's often raised during presidential elections is the question of whether or not the president has the power to impose his or her own religious beliefs on the American public. Obviously, this power is largely hypothetical since no president has ever exercised it in practice, but it's still an important question to consider because there's always a risk that a president could use his or her authority to promote one faith over others or pressure Americans into conformity with religious values. So do you think presidents have ever actually used this power in a way that's harmful to the public? Yeah, I think presidents have definitely used this power in harmful ways. For example, President George W. Bush endorsed draconian evangelical Christian theology during his time in office and used his authority to bully secularists into compliance with his beliefs. President Obama has also been criticized for supporting radical Islamic prayer accommodations at military funerals and for conducting official business while wearing a Muslim headscarf. So yeah, I think presidents have definitely abused their power in ways that have been harmful to the public trust and cultural cohesion. All right. So those are definitely issues we need to be paying attention to as we go about our lives. So let's move on to another topic, religion today vs. yesterday. Can you tell us what you believe are the most important differences between today's Christianity and Christianity from centuries past? Well, I think there are a lot of important differences. One big difference is that today's Christianity is much more ecumenical than it was in the past. Back in the days when Christianity was largely monotheistic and exclusivist, it would have been impossible for different religious groups to cooperate and build bridges of understanding. But today's Christianity is much more diversity-oriented, which is why ecumenical organizations like the World Council of Churches are so important. All right, so that's definitely something we should be keeping in mind as we go about our lives. Mm. So what do you think are the most important similarities between today's Christianity from centuries past and entity from centuries past? Well, I think there are a lot of similarities. One big similarity is that both Christianity today and Christianity from centuries past share a commitment to faith in God and obedience to biblical authority. And another similarity is that both Christianity today and Christianity from centuries past emphasize the need for human beings to love one another and live philanthropically towards their fellow man. All right, so those are definitely things that we can all learn from. So let's move on to another topic, the meaning of life. Can you tell us what you believe is the most fundamental meaning of life? Yeah, sure. I believe that the most fundamental meaning of life is to live ethically in righteousness towards others. Basically, we should aim to be kind and compassionate towards others, always endeavoring to do what's best for them rather than what's best for ourselves. All right, so that sounds like a pretty important message. Do you have any thoughts on how we can achieve this goal? Well, one way we can achieve this goal is by living by the Ten Commandments, ethical principles like honesty, justice, love, and mercy, which were given to us by God as part of his commandments. Another way we can achieve this goal is by following Jesus Christ as our personal savior, trusting him with our lives and placing our trust in him for salvation. And finally, we can also try to live according to the teachings of Buddha or Confucius spiritual masters who shared similar ethical teachings about living harmoniously with others. Is there anything else you'd like to share? No, that's quite enough for today. Thanks for listening.
Thanks for listening to the Lexman Artificial Podcast, The Original Funny Man Robot. In this episode, we spoke with David Wolpe about his book, Imposing Our Will, Presidential Power, Constitutional Faith, and the Imposition of Religion. As you'll hear, David has a lot to say about the power that presidents have to impose their religious beliefs on the public and the importance of religious diversity in today's Christianity. We also discuss the meaning of life and how we can achieve it by living ethically in righteousness towards others. Thanks for listening. And to end this episode, I'll read a poem by David Wolpe titled, The Road to Peace and Justice. The road to peace and justice often seems long and wearisome, but it leads to a destination we cannot conceive of now. It is a road we must travel. We must travel if we hope to build a brighter tomorrow. For all who live on this earth, the obstacles along the way will be daunting, to be sure, but we will not falter on our quest to make the world a better place.